Hello, and welcome back to Manga Kaiwa. Yep, uh, this is one of those uh, occasions where we're in the same spot. That's right. So that's, that's always nice. That's always really, really nice. Um, and yeah, so today we were thinking, just for this episode, we could try to uh, do it a little more freeform, um, just because it's always something I personally always wanted to try, because, you know, I feel like that's sort of what the, 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 I guess, appeal of this podcast idea was for, for me personally, was that we just, I just found our conversations really interesting. So I was like, why don't we do it? And you know, those conversations are pretty unprompted. So I was a bit like, well, why not just sort of replicate that once or twice without a topic beforehand? Um, and yeah, that's what we're going to be uh, trying out today. Um, and I mean, I already have a few things that I sort of thought would be interesting to talk about, but um, yeah, I, I'm excited for this. Nice, nice. Especially since we're in the same spot. You know, the chemistry is even stronger. If you even know stronger, I'm yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. We're on uh, Super Saiyan right now. Yeah. <laughs> Super Saiyan chemistry. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, uh, what was I going to Oh, yeah. Well, one thing that I was going to say is that we do have one episode um, that is... We recorded, I think, almost two months ago at this point. Yeah. That I have just been freaking not able to put together and put out. Um, but it is in the works. So after this episode, there should be an episode coming out quite soon after that. Um, it's a longer episode, but it's also one that is pretty meaningful for us. We're talking about um, an artist that we really like, that Ben introduced me to, called Nujabes. And uh, I'm sure you guys will... Um, maybe find some new uh, recommendations or just, I don't know if you are familiar with Nujibes already, um, it could be just a nice thing to listen to. Uh, we're definitely, we definitely had fun recording it, I would say. Yeah, I and agree. I'm, that was a lot of fun. I yeah. think that um, it was, I guess, a bit more on the challenging side because um, I think ranking music especially is a pretty yeah. hard task. But I think that, um, but yeah, Nujibes is a great artist that we both love a lot. Mm-hmm. And um if you've seen uh, Samurai Champloo, that anime, he did uh, significant work on that. So you'll yeah. see uh, a lot of the um, a lot of our uh, picks for that were um, OSTs from that anime. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I haven't seen it yet, which is criminal. I mean, okay, I will give myself this right. Like when we started this podcast, there were a few things that I had just continually say. Shoot, I still need to watch it. Shoot, I still need to read it, right? And at least I've knocked at least one of those off my list, which is Dragon Ball. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. that that was really nice. Um, yeah, speaking of Dragon Ball, while we've been uh, on the same spot on this, uh, this rock right here that we call Earth, um, we've actually had the chance to watch a few of the Dragon Ball films. I mean, Dragon Ball Z films. Um, ben has, is, has already watched uh, all of them, if I'm not mistaken. I've watched a few, but mostly the super films. Um, well, actually, no, I hadn't ever watched a single Z film before this weekend. And so what did we watch? We watched um, yeah, Fusion we watched, Reborn, yeah. both cooler films, and then uh, The Return, the Wrath, Wrath of the, the Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say those are among the best ones, along with the, uh, the first, I guess the first two Broly movies among the Z films. Oh, wait, there were... I'm going to sound like an absolute idiot right now, but there were two Broly films? There were actually three. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, so there's Broly, the legendary Super Saiyan, Broly, Second Coming, and then uh, Bio Broly, which are all the... Uh, Bio Broly? Bio Broly, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> sorry, so, uh, so Bio Broly is, um, 
it's not even broy at that point. It's 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 broy, but it's a clone of them. Right. And um, <laughs> at a certain point, it just gets like he just gets unrecognizable. He turns into like this like this like sludge monster. Bruh. And it's like and people sludge. are just like sorry. <laughs> well, I joke there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like and um, although honestly, I do appreciate bio broly because it does give like some spotlight to uh goten and trunks especially they seem to be the focus of that oh okay they, uh yeah oh so it's like freaking so broly just extends like so what point in the timeline does the original broly film the broly the legendary super saiyan take place in so that would take place um somewhere in the android saga it's android not saga. Okay, especially okay, okay. clear yeah. but um broly second coming would be like i think early boo saga and then like uh, Bio Broly would be like later in the Boo Saga. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, so was like the second to last um, Dragon Ball film uh, Bio Broly then? Like, so we watched Wrath of the Dragon, which is the last Z film. No, so um, yeah, last Wrath of the Dragon is the uh, last Z film. Second, uh, before that, it was uh, Fusion Reborn. Oh, was it? Okay. okay yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is quite cool because if any of you have Crunchyroll. Um, they do have all of the films. They're a little hard to find. I find that really a little weird how they organized it. But essentially, if you go into the Dragon Ball Super section, they're listed as anime episodes almost, not as films. Because, I mean, they are a very compact 15 minutes each. Like, it's pretty pretty uh, consistent that way. Um, besides, obviously, the Super films, which are quite a bit longer, if I'm not mistaken. Right, um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, Super yeah. films are, like, more the length of, like, I mean, well, nowadays, like, movies are, like, over two hours long, or, like, yeah. I mean, even three hours. But, like, I guess Super would be more, like, closer to, like, an actual, like, like full, like, full feature, feature length. length. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I definitely enjoyed the films, I have to say. Like, yesterday we watched uh, uh, Return, The Return of Cooler. I really liked that film, honestly. Like, I don't know, it was just, I don't know, pretty iconic looking. The issue is that, like, and I don't know if it has to do with um, what kind of copies Crunchyroll had their hands on, but we we directly um, followed up the the Return of Cooler with Wrath of the Dragon, and the animation like quality increase yeah. was just insane. Although, funnily enough, I think like it, it, even among like the older like movies, I think uh, Return of the Cooler is not kind of notorious for having like some of the. Uh, worst, not the worst, but well, yeah, the least good, I should say. Really? Animation. Really? Yeah, I mean, okay. especially like, if you go like, like, there are certain like like freeze frames that you go to where oh like, like, Goku especially just looks kind of like derpy, <laughs> like off model sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's 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 such a funny thing to say because um, just I, I I'm kind of watching a lot of like my YouTube social social media diet consists a lot of like. Lately, like, it's sort of this phase where I'm watching a lot of animation-related videos. So, like, not anime, but, like, the actual process of right. it, right? And so, you know, I have become enlightened to the fact. Not that I didn't know this before. I'm not trying to sound like a smart, smart aleck, but I, I was aware of this before. But, you know, this simplification that occurs when um, often an animation budget increases and the frame rate increases as well as um, the, just the, the flow... And the, the sakugo, so to speak, that's that buzzword of the animation increases. In proportion to that, in proportion to the increase in quote-unquote flow of the animation, the simplicity of the individual frames has to increase as well. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's I guess, uh, the, 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 the origin of the never, never pause Naruto memes. Um, 
And but the problem is with cooler is that there isn't really any sakuga. Like the return right, of cooler, yeah. there's like no sakuga at all. Maybe a, maybe a few moments, um, but very far and few between, if any at all. And um, their off model is a little bit like, uh, hmm, did we really need off model right now? You know, because typically off model is like, I don't know. I'm thinking of the sequence with Pain versus Naruto, which is a large contributor to the never pause Naruto meme. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I really love that, that sequence. And I mean, again, I'm not trying to sound like a smart aleck, but I loved it from the beginning. Because it was, it, was, it was goofy, but it was great somehow, you know? Like, I think the goofiest part of that whole sequence was when Pain was running around, and then Naruto, like, it, well, in the Six Tails form, right. hammered him in the ground yeah, with yeah, a block of rock. <laughs> I love that. I think most people um, cite the one panel where, like, or the one uh, frame where... Um, Pain is like I think he's he's in that water dome and he's about to do the almighty push, and then like his his face just warps incredibly and his nose becomes extremely long and since he has those you know poles and there's those rods in his nose yeah. right, it just looks really strange. But I mean that's if you pause it though. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's also I, I know like the uh, there's also the uh, my pain is far greater than yours. Like that scene is very. That famous. might be actually what I'm talking about. Okay. Not, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. 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 Uh, 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 uh. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Cooler does not get that quota though, since there wasn't really any mind-bogglingly good animation or creative yeah, animation. True, yeah. But I mean, I have to say, Metal Cooler just looked cool. So yeah, and for what it is, I mean, I always enjoy like getting to see when like you know, getting to see Goku and Vegeta working together because it's not mm-hmm. you know something like they like to do like particularly, especially Vegeta. But um, when you do get to see it, it is it is quite the treat. So yeah. I'm a sucker for those yeah. moments. So. And I mean, speaking of animation, I do think, you know, so Wrath of the Dragon was cool. I thought it was really nice. But the problem is that there was very little combat. And I guess right. that's, not a, well, that's, not, yeah. that's not a combat. Well, no, but the combat was more like big destruction, big kaiju beast. You know right, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it wasn't really... Um, I don't know. It wasn't Dragon Ball combat yeah. at all. Yeah, you're right. Because like for a Dragon Ball movie, it does feel like relatively like, experimental, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't mind. I really like the kind of like just eeriness of it. That was cool. Um, also, there were just some really nice animation sequences in that film. Like the the and I again I I feel like I'm saying this for the third time now, but I don't want to sound like a smart aleck. But there was some really nice like just um, just storyboarding, like the way that they decided to like portray certain scenes like you could tell it was just completely different from any other Dragon Ball film at least I'd seen uh, so far or earlier in the in the chronology um, like I don't know there was I remember there was this one scene where like it, it was just it was something really simple but you would never have seen this in an earlier Dragon Ball film it was where like um, uh, the kind of hero character Tapion. Uh, Tapion and yeah. Bulma were having a conversation and you we were the, the the camera was basically aimed through a fish tank a little right, bit. Right, yeah. That's something you'd never see in an earlier Dragon Ball film somehow, I feel like. Yeah, you, you do have yeah, a point yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. um but but um uh, but yeah, I mean I think it's also unique in the sense that like the, the characters that are there, especially like like Tapion, there's a very noticeable um Influence from like dra- Japanese RPG games. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, Legend of Zelda is an RPG, but but that is one of them. And uh, Dragon Quest as yeah, well, which, which Toriyama actually yeah, did exactly, work on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, if I think about like, Dai as well, the adventures of Dai. Isn't that Dragon Quest? Never mind. Yeah, that is Dragon Quest. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and then, I mean, another really nice sequence was, you know, the whole sequence with sequences with Janemba's like morphing sort of yeah. uh, in, uh, in, in the Fusion Reborn film. That was impressive. Like, I'd already seen clips of that. And also, Janemba's design is just kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? It is, yeah. Like, Hildegard's design in The Wrath of the Dragon is just not cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's like... I mean, yeah, it's not my favorite design, but I feel like it works well. Yeah. Like, with what they were going for. I agree, I agree. Yeah. It works well with this like weird like world that had sort of this medieval like warlock kind of theme to it. But he still looks like a weird chimera of different things. Uh, I don't know. It's not very cohesive. Like yeah, he has yeah. a skull head, but the skull has like nerves in it. Like yeah, like, and little... also he's like a giant like like locust or something. I'm not sure. Like oh a... yeah yeah yeah. That was at least cleaner when he transformed. I feel yeah. like although it looked a little bit over the top. But yeah, um, that that was nice. That was a nice experience. Yeah. I did also actually before we we we, we convened on, on this cell. Uh, one location um, uh, across the seven seas, so to speak. Um, I did watch uh, the Dragon Ball superhero film, which I quite liked. Um, I mean, I had already sort of heard that the use of CGI had proven to be significantly better than a lot of fans had expected, so I wasn't necessarily going in with, I guess, prejudice, so to speak. Like, I was sort of prepared i would say for a cg film and i think for what i was prepared for it was really nice i think it's a really um important step forward important you know whether that you consider that in negative or the positive sense it was an important step it was an, an influential step so to speak and um yeah next up on my list is watching the slam dunk film the first slam dunk because um, i've heard nothing but positive things about that and it as well uses the same cg approach where it's like a full cg film uh, which yeah, it's, it's really the exact same story as with Superhero. When it was announced, people were really upset, but when it came out, it was quite successful. Although Superhero wasn't nearly as successful as people thought it would be in Japan, but the Slam right. Dunk film was. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think um, Superhero was still decently successful, though. I think, um, which is especially, um, I think... Um, uh, overseas, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's still pretty impressive because because um, superhero I think, I remember like like notoriously wasn't really marketed that much you know it was was it not not really no yeah okay at least not as much as like you know like Broly and whatnot yeah and yeah, yeah, movies. yeah yeah but I do feel like for a Dragon Ball film like compared to Broly it just did not do as well I don't think it right. did as well as Broly did I mean I think Broly just had so much going for it you had yeah. like you know. I mean, I think Broly, yeah, the fourth sort of, Broly film, and now I know. Broly, <laughs> Broly is always a fan favorite, but there's also the fact that I mean, I think you know, Goku and Vegeta ultimately are going to be a bigger draw for people than Gohan and Piccolo. Not, not to say that they're True. necessarily better characters. That's yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they're more iconic and more beloved. And I think that, um, and you know, people already knew that like Gogeta was going to be in it. He was going to be canonized, and so is Broly. But wait, Go what? They knew that. Wait, they knew in advance that Gogeta was going to be canonized. <clears throat> was he in the trailer or something? Yeah, he's in. Uh, he's in one of the trailers. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. that built up the hype. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, which was an interesting choice for sure. Yeah. So you know, as a as a relatively recently indoctrinated Dragon Ball enjoyer, um, I've also, of course, been uh, exposed to the uh, turbulent. Vegito versus uh, Gogeta debates. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, I've probably asked Ben more times than I care to admit which one is his favorite because I keep forgetting because I keep getting like mixed up with other people's conversations and stuff like that. But um, yeah, now I know that 
Ben, I'm sorry I'm going to expose you to all the Gogeta fans, but you are a, um, a, a Vegito enjoyer, which I'm I am as well. Vegeta I am enjoyer, as well. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I am. Uh, although, to be honest, I think that... Um, I, th I would say that, like, Vegito's design is slightly better, in my opinion, just because, like, he... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've said, like, he... Um, you know, his clothes are a clear combination of Goku and Vegeta's, which, yeah. Vegeta, which I like. Whereas, like, Gogeta just, you know... Goofy vest. I'm sorry. I just Although hate I, that vest. So, <laughs> but even there, I mean, I feel like... I, I do like I do like Gogeta's design. I think yeah, that he does rock the outfit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I would say that... Um, I like them, like, almost, if not pretty much the same these days, honestly. Yeah. So. I mean, Stardust Breaker was really cool. Yeah, he does I'm have the, like, the unique like, moves for him, yeah. going for him as well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I thought it was interesting how yesterday when um, Goku used the uh, Ryuken at the end, right? You know, when when he when he destroyed Hildegard that way, um, how you were like, oh yeah, well it's used in GT a few times, and I'm like, what? So were there any elements of the Dragon Ball films that were just brought up in GT or not? I yeah, it's a good question because um, because there actually are. I mean, besides the Dragon Fest, Dragon Fest the or the Ryuken. The, the main one I can think of is um, Gogeta, because um, it's shown... Oh, really? Like, yeah, because it, in GT, it's Vegeta that suggests fusion, and Goku doesn't need to teach to him. So it impl implies that, like, the events of Fusion Reborn, like, somehow happened, but it doesn't really make sense, because uh, Goku and Vegeta would still be dead in that case. But, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is what it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've always found, like, Gogeta's design in GT uh, so interesting, because, like, as a Super Saiyan 4... He really doesn't have much resemblance, like to his like base or like Super Saiyan forms, you know. Oh he, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh wait, so Gogeta goes Super Saiyan four on GT. In GT, yeah. Okay, so does Vegito show up ever in GT? No, he doesn't. Okay, damn. Although, although Super Saiyan four Vegito shows up like in Heroes, although Bruh, everything design, shows up in well, Heroes. Everything, though. yeah. <laughs> it's the ultimate like fan service machine, but um. <laughs> But but it's funny because Vegeta's like SSJ four design is 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 actually a lot more consistent with his other forms in terms of appearance, whereas Gogeta's is just kind of like it's very similar to like Goku's design. It, it's like he has like Goku's like like hairline, like the same bangs, whereas and he has like Gogeta's like well Vegeta's like uh, like big uh like, like the hair shape. Oh, like, no like, way! <laughs> but um but whereas like Gogeta like Super Saiyan like like you know in base form in Super Saiyan. His hairline is actually a lot closer to Vegeta's, and he just has the one bang, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. I think that, that describes... Ah, Prince yeah. of Saiyan's hairline. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> it do go hard, though. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, yeah. Bro okay, has maybe... two foreheads. He has two foreheads. He has, he has, his forehead is split into two, therefore he has two foreheads. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I think that, like, you know... Like, it wouldn't look great on, like, <laughs> someone in real life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I still feel like it's just, I mean, it's just so It's iconic. iconic. It's and, iconic, like, that's for sure, yeah. And yeah. Vegeta just, I don't know, I, he, he, I think he just rocks it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It, it, he does own it. He does, But he also owns every aspect of his design whenever he's wearing it. Like, yeah. the gloves, bro, the gloves. <laughs> the gloves. I love those. Like, those are cool. Like, yeah. isn't that something that, isn't that something that, the fact that he has like a like the, the tank top on in um and the gloves in the boo socket that's just cool. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of his boo socket design. Yeah, that's his like, boo socket design is my favorite design. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I would agree yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, I mean the the armor is iconic too, but yeah. like, I just mm -hmm. love Vegeta's boo socket design. You, know, it's so simplistic, but like 
It's so good at the same yeah. time. Just the shoulder pads of the Saiyan armor are just... I'm sorry. I know it's just a retro touch, but I just... I still don't like it. Like, you know, I st no matter how much I consider it, I still don't like it. So when he took those off and he just had, like, sort of, like, the, the kind of capsule core replication of it on uh, in the Cell Saga, that looked really cool, too. I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, when Trunks put it on, too, like, I don't know, that was cool as well. That was cool, yeah. yeah. And, and also when Lin Goku and Gohan were wearing it in the, uh, the time chamber. That was nice oh, as well. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. Yep. Um... But, I mean, I mentioned the first slam dunk earlier, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of a forced segue, but uh, Ben, you're currently reading uh, a manga by the, the same author who wrote Slam Dunk. That's right. Uh, Inoue Takihiko. Um, I mean, we've discussed it before, actually. We've dedicated a whole episode to, um, I don't know, I think at least one whole episode we've dedicated to talking about Vagabond. But uh, Ben is uh, approaching the end right here, and I am yeah. just very curious as to what he... Things. I mean, we've discussed this a little bit uh, just uh, when when we were talking earlier, but I think you're smack dab in the middle of the farmland arc, which is I very am. much a very respected arc of, of, of Vagabond. Yeah, yeah. I, I do find it interesting how like, like Vagabond and Vinland Saga both have, like, are both like highly respected shonens. They're considered like two of like the so-called yeah, yeah. big three of seinen, yeah, seinen yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. isn't official or anything. But anyway, yeah. but I do find it interesting how they ha they both have their own like farmland arc. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which yeah. um, with the themes they're like over also like overlapping as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. like you know Thorfinn and Musashi both learning to live these you know relatively normal lives. You yeah, know, yeah, putting yeah. aside their the need for violence, you know? I mean, Thorfinn much more so as yeah, his yeah, character, yeah, yeah. but well, as well. I think the thing is that, like, you know, they're all, like, pursuing this idea of the warrior, um, but I think Thorfinn's ideas are considerably more radical than Musashi's. I think Musashi's are more of a rethinking of his previous ideas, whereas Thorfinn's are a complete um, replacement of right, his former yeah. ideas. Like, I think for Thorfinn... Uh, his consider like his definition of a of a warrior, which he learned by his father Thor's, is not really a warrior in the traditional yeah. sense. But no, but it not like I think for me personally, it goes beyond just not in the traditional sense. It just it's not a warrior. It's a warrior in the sense that they fight, but they don't fight people. If you get what I'm saying, um, and I guess that's like it's like completely different. Like I would say Musashi is not a warrior in, in, in the traditional sense. I would say that his departure is radical, but not nearly as radical. Right. Um, and I mean, again, I don't want to spoil anything. I think you get, you, you know kind of what's going to happen. Like, you know, you already see it, what's happening in, in Musashi. He's just slowly transitioning towards a completely different kind of mindset. Right. And you've also read some of the Gorin, so um, the, the, the Five Rings. So, so, right, because yeah. it has been a, like a while since I have read it. Yeah. But, um, but it, it does go into like... Um, you know, it's interesting because with those things, and like I, I go, of course, this could also apply to like stuff like you know the art of war, which I haven't read, but um, a lot of it is like you know based on like combat, right? Because but in, in the literal sense, it is like on like combat mostly, but it can also be applied to different aspects of life and how yeah, you yeah, like yeah. deal with life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has been a while since I've read it, but um, but yeah, because I wondered if like you know. At some point in Vagabond, we'll see like Musashi like um, like composing like texts, you know. Or yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Have we ever seen him writing poetry? I feel like he might have at one point right, done I think, something like that. Because I remember at least one sequence where he was doing calligraphy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Well, maybe because he 
like he, maybe because he was. Well, no, I remember most of the calligraphy scenes are with Kojiro when he's learning how to write. Um, but I, I can't really remember the ones. Anyway, I think um, I'm just I'm just really excited for you to um, finish Vagabond because I think maybe we could just do a full episode on it at one point because I think yeah. it's just it's just such an incredible incredible like just it's just incredible like i mean i remember when i finished it i was like i mean no wonder it, it it's considered at the top with berserk and uh vinland saga etc uh it's just just i never expected such like really intensely uh philosophical content and you know like combat and action to go well together like that i mean it's it's really not right to call it an action series because yeah, it has these movements of action, but they are really just inter- instrumentalized to display the philosophical stuff. You know, it's one of those series where you have a lot of shonen series, especially, that always have to balance out their identity as a combat series as well as their thematic um, parts, right? And sometimes one of them gets in the way of the other. Um, mostly, it's the combat getting in the way in the th- of the, the thematic messages. But I think, you know, in a seinen series where you have a little more freedom, you have like sort of this expectation that the audience is going to let you cook a little more, so to speak. I would say, personally, that's the case. Um, uh, I think in that case, it's just a lot, I think, cooler that you have like this perfect synthesis between what the story is trying to be and what the story is, so to speak, Um, which I think is just not the case in a lot of shonen series because of just editorial pushing um, and then also just like, because there is an expectation, like if you advertise yourself as a sports series or as a, a combat series, um, there are going to be expectations and they're going to limit you in terms of what you can do because there's these sort of templates that are set out. Whereas in a more, I guess, adult geared or sane and geared story, it's, it's a little freer. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that does a lot. That goes a long way. Yeah. Right, because, like, you know, just for example, like, in, in, like, certain, like, shonens, like, the, um, Bleach and Naruto, the, um, which are, you know, very well done on, the, on like, the most part of what they do well, but in terms of, like, other aspects, just, uh, just kind of feel shoehorned in, I, I think very infamous, infamous, infamously, the, like, romantic aspects in those series feels very, like, shoehorned, yeah, kind of, yeah, like, yeah, you know, just, like, at the last second, just because, like, you know, the authors felt sort of compelled to just, like, you know love interest yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah like, like these ingredients sort of yeah. these checklists yeah yeah and i mean there that's really where you can see the editorial influence right like, yeah i mean i'm sure that you know when someone like masashi kishimoto or um Taito kubo you know when they when they set out to write a story and they're aware they're aware they're not stupid people they're aware of what magazine they're publishing in and they're aware of the fact that they're going to have editors that are helping them and that are probably going to interfere or intervene, you know, to put it lightly, uh, when they try to make certain decisions that are maybe a little bit too uh, far from the beaten path. Um, I think they know, and then they also have a certain, like, kind of, that's sort they probably structure the series themselves without having to be told by their editor to a certain extent. Um, how they, okay, I found this on the web bruh. for the series. The- Sorry, like somehow, like Siri activates just weirdly in the middle of it. That can just be a meme for this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure if it actually if that actually got into the recording, but if need be, I guess that can be edited out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't know. It's it's all right. I think it's a meme. Yeah. It's a meme. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say, and I feel like I'm kind of going on long-winded here, is that I don't think it's all the editor and the influence of like the editorial department of the magazine that causes especially shonen series, and as well as a few seinen series and more adult-geared series, just sort of, I guess, stray from what they want to be. So like where there's this sort of disparity between what the series is trying to be and what the series actually is. Um, I think it's also that the author is aware that the audience will kind of expect certain things of the series that they have. Um, and so they themselves, without being ha having to be prompted by the editors, will automatically sort of just adjust and build their series around those expectations, which um, isn't the case for more niche magazines. Um, I just I have to shout out this one magazine. It's just, it's such a freaking incredible magazine. It has so many really just out there creative types that you can't really place. You can't really like specifically say, okay, this falls into this demographic category or this, um, uh, I don't know, genre. Um, it has such a colorful roster of series. It's, it's the monthly afternoon, I'm pretty sure. I know that Vinland Saga is released in one of the afternoons. I just don't know which one. I feel like there are multiple afternoons. If I'm not, I'm, I know, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. It's some Kodansha magazine. In any case, I'm pretty sure that in there you have like, um, like I, I remember flipping through one of the magazines recently. There was this really crazy dance series. And at the beginning I was like, oh, this art style is very sh shoujo. But as I went on, it was like, nah, this is something completely different. And I think um, uh, uh, Hoseki no Kuni, uh, Land of the Lustrous, is actually published in that magazine as well. And I mean, there, you know, goes without saying, if you've ever seen or opened a volume of Hoseki no Kuni or even read it yourself, then you know it's not a common series. Like the art style is completely different. The ideas, the sort of like, the, even the story structure is just very different. Um, I love that series. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very good. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's like the sort of stuff that I think is amazing that I really want to see more of. Uh, oh yeah, one series that I really want to read that is also in that magazine is uh, Witch Hat Atelier, which frequently does quite good in sales as well. I think it's probably one of their forerunners there. Um, but yeah, just to show like there, there are alternatives to Shonen, like as, as most of you probably already know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, uh. Um, another series that is actually very similar to Hoseki no Kuni, I actually never heard anybody really make this comparison, although I'm sure many people have, because I think they're pretty prominent parallels, is Attack on Titan. Like, oh, okay. there are weird similarities between the protagonists, Foss and Aaron, um, and I think you had mentioned recently, actually, Ben, that you, uh, were probably intending to, uh, um, sort of finish Attack on Titan when you have a moment, right? Right, yeah. I, uh, so far, I've, uh, I've started it. I've, uh, I'm on currently... I was on season two of the anime, uh, and so uh, I eventually just dropped it just because like, life happened and whatnot. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I, I, I do intend to uh, pick it back up. Although I do have like, uh, sort of like, you know, some idea of like, where the story goes. And like, um, you know, I just find it interesting how like, you know, just how much of like a, a shift, I guess, well, apparently there is yeah, within yeah, Aaron, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, where it becomes like, you know, arguably like a villain at some yeah, points, you know, yeah. I mean. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? I think, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term the basement scene. The I've heard of it, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who, who have watched Less Red Attack on Titan in its entirety or are caught up with the anime at least, um, 
like, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I personally find the basement reveal to be one of the best moments in all of fiction that I've ever read. Because it just, it's, it's, because it's also very well built up, but then the reveal of it, it is the single turning point of everything. And um, it really just throws Attack on Titan into that final phase that it's really famous for. I mean, some people would say infamous for, but um, personally, I am not a hater of, of the ending. I didn't mind it. I didn't think it was a 10 out of 10 ending, but I thought it was thematically fitting. Um, so I know that, that that's probably more of a hot take, but actually I'm very curious as to, because the last episode, or I guess the kind of uh, one hour episode, I believe it's going to be an hour, um, that is going to completely finish off the anime is coming out this fall, oh, which really? is insane. So it's over this fall, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, over, I think, two years. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well over two years since it ended in the manga. Um, I think it, I remember when it ended in, in, in 2021. It was in April of 2021, I'm mm. pretty sure, um, or something like that. And I, I mean, I'm just so curious to see because I would say, nonetheless, that a huge number of the uh, or a huge proportion of the entire Attack on Titan fan base is composed of anime onlys. Right. I mean, again, poor anime onlys with all the manga readers and the spoilers. Like, Attack on Titan manga readers are single-handedly responsible, in my opinion, for the bad reputation of manga readers in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm so curious to see what they think of the ending. I mean, assuming that MAPPA actually even adapts the ending in the way that it was in the manga. Personally, I hope they don't stray too far off. Um, if they're able to find points where they can kind of make subtle changes that amount to a large um, sort of change in how even manga readers perceive the ending, like, that's fine. But I do think they should try to stay true to um, uh, uh, Isayama's original vision. Um, I think, honestly, it would be a little sad if they got bullied into... Uh, finishing or, or changing the ending, personally. Um, because, I mean, it's unlike Bleach's ending, right? Where, like, Bleach's ending, there's really no way you can, like... It's almost objective that there are just some pieces that are missing. You know, there are just some, yeah. there are just some pieces that are blatantly missing. There are just blatant holes in it. For Attack on Titan, the ending is complete. It's, it's airtight. But there are just a lot of things that people just didn't like about it which I think is not a, a, an adequate justification to create an anime-only ending. Whereas I think in the case of Bleach, it is. Call that a conflict of interest, but personally, I think I have, I have a foundation for that argument, so to speak. True, yeah, definitely. I think that, yeah, because I was going to veer into that, because, like, you know, there are highly anticipated, like, anime adaptation of a, you know, of a manga that finished, like, Quite a while ago at this point, I think uh, Bleach ended in like 2016 or so. Yeah, but sure, um, yeah. but yeah, the Bleach anime, which is um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right, which is uh currently ongoing. Um, in terms of right now, the anime is with, is in the uh, the second core of the current arc, the uh, Thousand Year Blood War, and um, and yeah, and, and as we already know, um, the anime has been you know making changes to the original manga. Mm -hmm. Uh, to just add, really just flesh it out more, like add more content and whatnot. And, uh, and right, as Quentin was saying, a huge point of speculation of, has been um, the ending and like how much, you know, if at all, but I'm, I'm assuming at least to a certain degree, like how the anime will change the ending. Yeah, and that's another thing, right? Like, 
the, the team at Kubo himself have been clear that they intend to change things. Right, yeah. Which is a completely different approach to what MAP have been taking, which is that up until this point, they haven't changed anything that would indicate that an ending might be a different from what we've seen. So I personally, if you're hoping for another ending, I wouldn't necessarily get my hopes up. I don't think it's impossible. I think there's still a good chance that it will be changed slightly because Isayama himself released a completely new chapter to right. addend the ending, so to speak, um, after the reception it got. Um, I haven't actually read that chapter. I haven't read the but, alternate. Yeah, I mean, ending. but I heard it was like even worse. Worse we received. Like it was honestly, I don't know though. I I would not trust the 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 kind of rabid Attack on Titan fans for that because I think when when I heard that as well, I heard the same thing. It was in like the heat of like the kind of hatred that the first ending garnered. So I right. think people were just ready to just throw things in the trash. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean. It's just like, if I think about how badly Isayama took the reception that he got, like, uh, he was like, I think, really freaking just like devastated. Because think about it, this man, you know, he serialized this manga for, I think, 10 plus years, right? Um, From start to finish. He's poured his heart and soul into it. He's, you know, really risked his health, which is sort of a given as a mangaka. Um, But then he's also received massive praise, right? So... He's received massive support from his fans. But then at the very end, it sort of feels like I think they kind of just like turned on him a little bit, which I mean, I don't know. Personally, I think that people really had some weird expectations for Aaron's character. Like, I feel like people really expected him to be a certain way until the very end and never break. And then when it did happen, like people were just just not happy. Because they didn't want their power fantasy. I'm sorry. I know I'm saying it in a little bit of a facetious way. But I feel like a lot of people wanted it to be like almost like a power fantasy at the end. Which it was not. You know, um, I think people make some thematic allegations. Like that it was thematically um, inconsistent. But I do not agree at all. I don't agree at all. Um, and yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That is... That is I, I would personally not want them to stray too far from the original ending. Um, yeah. I think, you know, and it brings into question, right? Like, do tragic endings usually get bad reception? Tragic endings? Yeah. And, you know, that's not something I've really thought about, but it, it would make sense if you think about it. Yeah. Because, so you would say, like, AOT does have a tragic ending. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I feel like I'm kind of spoiling something. No, actually, right I think I've, I've seen, like, some of it. So Bruh, Ben. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I'd want, maybe, maybe I still am, but I was really bad with spoilers at one point as well. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so, um, I'm trying to think. There were a few other series I remember that I spoiled myself on. Like, I mean, for example, when I, when I was reading Hunter Hunter, or no, never, never would I have read Hunter Hunter, that light novel. I mean, no, I would have, but I didn't. <laughs> I did watch it. I watched the 2011 anime. And I remember uh, when I was watching it, it was, I think, one of the, like, the first anime I'd ever seen. It was, like, I think the fifth anime I'd ever seen. Um, I, I was, like, I guess, like, scrolling through YouTube at one point and just watching clips, like, top ten videos and something. And then Gon's adult transformation came up. And so I knew that was going to happen. I just didn't know in what context it was going to happen. Uh, 
And um, when it happened, I remember being so freaking excited. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like usually spoilers, like spoilers aren't ideal just because, you know, you wouldn't want to know. But, but ultimately, I feel like they can sometimes even enhance these yeah, experience because yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to know, okay, I know this, this is going to happen, but how does it happen? Yeah, exa- that's yeah. true. And I think... You know, there are multiple arguments for and against that. The, I think the primary argument for that is that some films and series structure themselves exactly that way. They will give you the ending, and then right after the ending, they'll start from the very beginning. Right. So that you sort of keep guessing as to how it happens. I think probably one of the more famous examples of that is um, Boruto, um, and how they have that opening sequence that really gets people quite interested as to how the frick this situation happened, where Kawaki and Boruto are all grown up and they're facing off against one another. And uh, if you're caught up with the manga, and uh, you know, uh, you sort of know why that is and how that happened. Um, very excited for that uh, new time skip chapter, by the way. Uh, it's been a quite long four months. I never thought I'd be this excited for a Boruto chapter, but here I am. Um, and yeah, and then I think another a pretty good example would be, for example, the, the way that this newest season of Jujutsu Kaisen structured the premature, uh, the, the premature death and hidden inventory arcs by basically giving um, a sort of glimpse at, like, I guess, the main idea of the premature death arc and then immediately jumping into the hidden inventory arc and then ending with, like, sort of the complete version of the uh, um, uh, premature death arc, which I thought was really great. I thought that worked very well because you were like, huh? This depressed dude was like happy before. What? How does he become depressed? <laughs> um, and but I think the main argument against that is that you never know how it would have been if you hadn't spoiled yourself. Like maybe you still enjoyed it while you know being spoiled. Yeah. But you still, you know what I'm saying? You still, you, you still don't know what the timeline would have been like, so to speak, uh, if. And you, you hadn't been spoiled on the ending, I feel like. And, it, you know, it could have been, I guess the point that I'm getting at is it could have been much better. It could have been a, a much more, I don't know, exciting, crazy experience. Um, and I think I was actually telling you earlier that, uh, um, I think we were discussing it earlier, that the, the uh, How Do You Live or The Boy and the Heron by uh, Miyazaki Hayao, um, who... Uh, you know, I mean, he's the legendary Ghibli producer. He's done Spirited Way, Totoro, um, all of these really massive titles that are even very quite famous in the West as well, and were so before this whole anime boom. I would mm-hmm. say that's how a lot of people um, get introduced to anime at all, or at least that's how it was, I would say, um, because I grew up with these films. And so he's come out of retirement uh, several years, I think almost a decade of retirement or something. I don't know. I I might be way off on that, but he's been in retirement. He's come out of retirement with this new film, and the film has received zero marketing, intentionally. Um, I don't know if you can really call it intentionally. Maybe it was a limit of resources, but at the end of the day, they consciously decided to limit marketing to, I think, like a poster, a very vague poster as well. Like it was very minimal. Um, and I think maybe even a, a synopsis, but even if there was a synopsis, I think it was very limited. Um, so then, of course, you know, the week that the movie releases, which was, I think, like two, three weeks ago, you, you see the Shonen Jump author comments, and everybody's raving over it, despite no, no, uh, no, no marketing. 
And if you think about it, marketing, even if it's subtle, they do sort of spoil the content. You know, even if it's not major spoilers, every kind of marketing gives some something gives something that is somewhat spoilery. Right. You know, obviously there's a spectrum, right? On the extreme side of the spectrum, you do have trailers that literally just spoil whatever happens in the film or, or in the series. But uh, yeah. Um, what are you thinking? Of? I feel like no, you just I, I think it's like, like um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> one that was like especially spoilery like um i remember seeing like the uh not when it was like actually airing but like on youtube the revenge of the sith trailer it was just it was basically just showed like the entire thing like more or less what really it's like okay yeah we we know pretty at this point we everybody knew pretty much what was going to happen yeah, like, yeah, yeah you yeah. know anakin was going to turn and like yeah would be born but yeah. it just showed like like so much of it though i feel yeah. like did you know? it Shoot. I, I think so. Well, I mean, again, I wasn't really um, conscious, so to speak, uh, when that movie came out in two thousand five. I think it was. So I don't really, yeah. I don't really remember it too well. Um, but yeah, that was that must be interesting. Like just going through the Star Wars trailers for like prequel films and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess what my my point is is that um, I I think that. You know, this zero marketing new Ghibli film by Miyazaki was still successful. And I wonder if the sort of vision of it, which was, if I'm not mistaken, to sort of experiment with sort of going into something blind, basically forcing everybody to go into the film blind, um, more or less, was actually quite effective and increased the enjoyment. And I would love to have known how in a, an alternate timeline where it received the uh, type of marketing you'd expect for a Ghibli film, um, uh, whether whether it was uh, whether it would have performed better, or worse, whether it would have received better or worse, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it would have been it would have performed worse because I, I I don't know if like any marketing would have necessarily hurt. No, for sure. The for sure. Over- yeah, but yeah, I think it's yeah. more so um, reception. The, yeah, the yeah, reception, yeah, 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 like I, I mean, just like the overall enjoyment the audience got. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and props to them as well. You know, that is a you know sort of finger to uh, you know just typical marketing practices, which, yeah, they are part of the world we live in these days, but they do often interfere with, I think, the quality of the stories and the media that we can get, and they just sort of ignored that, and in favor of arguably a better viewing experience, which I think is is, is admirable, at least, because they took a risk, that's for sure. You know, I think even Miyazaki at one point expressed that he was quite nervous about it, because <laughs> it received so little <laughs> marketing. Yeah. And I mean, the man, you know, he, he, he pours his blood and sweat into this stuff, notoriously, um, like even in the grand scheme of animators and mangaka, he is exceptionally, uh, um, let's just say, masochistic, <laughs> because uh, I think I think he's quite well known for like spending a whole year on like a four-second animation sequence or something like that, like with his team, like literal like I don't know, no, I think it might have been one minute or maybe I'm exaggerating, but it was like a very short period of time and he spent a whole year on it. Like imagine that, that's insane. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the kind of man we're dealing with. And he was like, I mean, props to him for even accepting that there was no marketing because, you know, there might have been no return on that, that blood, sweat and tears, if you get what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to see it. So do I. Yeah, I mean, because I, I guess it's, it's, it's already out of theaters, right? In Japan. In Japan, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. When did it come out again? When? Like two or three weeks ago, I would say. Maybe oh, okay. Maximum a month ago. I don't even... I oh, wow. Think. So it's out of theaters already then? Or? 
Oh no, I oh, doubt okay. it. I doubt it. I mean, how long do movies stay in theaters these days? I don't. I mean, I feel like at least like here in the U.S., it's like a few months or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so as well. I don't know how it is in Japan, but I would assume it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's so interesting, right? I was in France recently because um, that's where some of my family lives, and the thing is that they. You know, it used to be the case that there were always these staggered releases, right? Because they had to get the dubbing ready, but um, and so like you'd have uh, France that were a movie that had released maybe even three weeks prior in the United States and other English-speaking countries would only be released in France. I think like yeah, then three weeks after the the the, uh, the release in in the English-speaking world. And then I think even in probably some English-speaking areas, you probably you probably had licensing issues and all this kind of crap. Right. But today it's a lot more streamlined because I think the internet just makes it very, very annoying when you have people that are able to see the film, whereas other people are not. Like heck, I'm annoyed enough when some um, series comes out and it's exclusively available in Japan, and then I have to wait for ye- like a year until I can see it here. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? and after a certain point, like, you just have to become like so avoidant of like certain social media, like, like, like YouTube comment sections. Yeah. I actually have like one, one memory of like um, what? Not, not an anime, but like it was for oh my god, it was for um, Star Wars: uh, The Last Jedi. Was it? And, like somebody like spoiled like a, like a big like plot like plot twist in that movie, which was you know that like that rubbed me in the wrong way, but I guess it didn't end up really mattering because that whole movie was just kind of like, that whole movie was just kind of garbage anyway. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Don't traumatize me again, Ben. Don't awaken my trauma. We're not not big fans of the sequel. No, if you couldn't tell yet. And, uh, you know, we've, this is one of those uh, weird episodes where we've, uh, mentioned the prequels and the sequels. Right. uh, In the same breath, uh, breath. Uh, and you could probably tell that our our uh, our opinions of the prequels are quite a bit higher than the opinions that we have for the sequels. For sure. We should do it. We should do an episode on that one day. We should do an episode on on not prequels versus sequels, but just Star Wars in general. I don't know. That would be fun. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. like I mean, not you know, of course not animanga, but like funnily enough, like there are like a good amount of like Star Wars references laced in like a, a couple of like like notable series like Dragon Ball for example which is more subtle but like there are very direct references in like Berserk for example they're, like, they're not even references they're just parodies it's, it's, like, it's just like like, like, like Puck one of the characters just morphing into like Palpatine and like yeah right. like, even like, Yoda. Jar, like Jar Jar like, well yeah he does morph into Jar Jar yeah I think I, I, it would be cool to like like if someone built like a timeline of like when and in which situations Puck did all of his references not just Star Wars references but because I'm sure like Neuro is enough of a he was enough of a nerd that like you know he probably poured so many references into there yeah um yeah, and recently actually we were like walking by like this one store that had like a Hellraiser shirt, and man, that one Hellraiser character, 